This morning, we are continuing our sermon series titled The Amazing Possibilities of Prayer. We're discovering that God desires for us to experience, as a result of uh, a vital prayer life, way more than we've imagined. For instance, just listen to this wonderful promise by Jesus in John 15, 7 and 8. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. And this is, this is just one of many such prayer promises that Jesus made to his followers. Now, we've been looking at the model that Jesus gave to his disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And we, we know that it's now commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It's found in your Bible in Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter, if you want to open there. If you have a, a Bible app, you can open to Matthew 6 there as well. The Lord's Prayer contains five specific petitions and one concluding praise. The first petition has to do with identity. The second is a prayer for God's kingdom to come. The third petition has to do with provision. And last week, we began looking at the fourth petition that has to do with relationships and forgiveness. So as we've been doing, let's let's begin today by praying out loud the Lord's Prayer together. You can follow along on the screen. Are you ready? Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we do uh, just say thank you for the model prayer you've given us to, to make our prayer life rich and vital and that it begins with this identification of, of our connection with you as our Father. We thank you that you are our Father, that we are your children, that we've received the benefit of forgiveness of sin through Christ's death and resurrection. We're now filled with the Holy Spirit. Your promise, the down payment, that everything in the book is really going to happen just the way you say it. We thank you for the, the blessing of uh, peace and prosperity and joy and health and soundness of mind and the ability to set everything else aside this morning and focus on that which has become fundamental to our life, living and loving you. I put power on your word to our lives. In your name, amen. So in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, we're instructed by Jesus to pray and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Now, last week we saw that God mercifully makes provision for us to receive forgiveness for every sin that we have, we are, or will ever commit. First, by becoming his child, uh, by believing in Jesus' death and resurrection, and then secondly, by receiving cleansing for all the times that we fall short of God's glorious standard in what we think and say and do as we pray this particular petition in the Lord's Prayer every day. So once for all forgiveness and then daily cleansing as well. And then because we have received forgiveness from God, we are now instructed by Jesus to attend to relationships, the fourth petition, as we extend forgiveness to others. There may be nothing in the world that is harder to do than forgive someone who has hurt or wronged, or betrayed, or abused you. Forgiveness is incredibly difficult to do. 
spouse, a fiance, a boyfriend or a girlfriend uh, cheated on you, husband or wife divorced in a bitter battle, tearing the fabric of the most sacred and honored of relationships. Your kids no longer communicate. Maybe siblings want nothing to do with you. Perhaps we lost our job because of unethical HR practices or office politics. Uh, a friend or a family member borrowed money that was never repaid or a family heirloom that was never returned. You were stolen from or lied about or falsely accused or taken advantage of. Perhaps we were physically or sexually or verbally abused by someone that we trusted, a parent, a relative, a, a coach, a teacher, pastor. Someone we love was killed prematurely by a drunk or a distracted driver. Our reputation was unjustly slandered or our character was maligned, perhaps in a former church, in school, uh, in a fraternity or sorority, on a job, in your neighborhood, in a small town. Could be a hundred other ways. Now, friends, our pain and suffering as a result of the wrongs and the hurt and the betrayal and abuse of others is very real. Many of us today would say we've not yet forgiven those that have sinned against us. And, you know, we can think of all kinds of reasons, can't we? Why we're justified in not forgiving. You know, we we feel that to forgive would let the offender off the hook or that uh, somehow they they need to be punished and that our somehow our unforgiveness accomplishes that. We might be waiting for them to feel remorse and to apologize and uh, after which time we may then consider forgiving. We we might even think they don't deserve to be forgiven or perhaps we've tried and it just doesn't stick. Maybe we just hate them. We don't want anything to do with them anymore. And we just as soon never see or talk to them ever again. And we kind of think that maybe our silent um, and our uh, hidden unforgiveness, well, it isn't hurting anybody else, and so I can keep it. And that, I, all I'm doing is illustrating that there are all kinds of justifications for continuing uh, to harbor unforgiveness. And yet I would suggest that to those of us who are sincere Christ followers, that in our deepest heart of hearts, we know that forgiving others is the right thing to do. We are called to be merciful. Now, on one occasion, Jesus told a very powerful parable that illustrates the nature of mercy and forgiveness. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter, verses 23 to 35. It's a long story, so I'll summarize this story. A servant once owed a king a huge sum of money, several millions of dollars. He was unable to pay the debt, and the king threatened that he be sold uh, for repayment. Well, the servant begged for mercy, and the king, when moved with compassion, forgave and canceled the debt. After leaving the presence of the king, the forgiven servant sought out a fellow servant who owed him a small debt by comparison, just several thousand dollars, and he demanded repayment. Well, the indebted servant once again uh, uh, begged for mercy, but the forgiven servant now refused and had the man arrested and thrown into debtor's prison. Well, upon learning of the forgiven servant's actions, the king called him on the carpet. 
and said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And then the story concludes with these words, and I quote, Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So Jesus' parable here teaches us that forgiveness is like releasing a debt. A debt, you know, is something that's owed to us. Every wrong against us produces an indebtedness that we all feel, don't we? We think in our mind, you owe me. That's indebtedness. That's that's the root of, of unforgiveness. But forgiveness actually releases the debt that you are legitimately owed. It lets the debt go. And it also frees us from giving our offenders what we think they deserve. Now, I like to think of forgiveness as walking a road. Unforgiveness is is like getting stuck in a cul-de-sac. It doesn't take you anywhere. But, But forgiveness is like walking on a road towards freedom and healing. Now, like all roads, the forgiveness road has two ditches. On one side, there's the ditch of the desire for revenge. We're familiar with this ditch, aren't we? We want to get even. We want to settle the score. We want to pay our offenders back. We want to inflict pain and suffering on them. We want to see them suffer. We want to see them fail in some way. We just hope they fall into a wood chipper or something, you know. Well, maybe not quite that severe, but the other ditch of the road of forgiveness is anger and bitterness. When we internalize over time the hurt and the pain of of that we have suffered, it, it can become bitterness and breed resentment. So when we stumble off the road of forgiveness into either the ditch of desire for revenge and anger and bitterness. Jesus says in the parable that we will become locked in the prison of torment. We'll be delivered over to the torturers. This prison, we become a hostage, as it were, to unforgiveness. We're we're gripped, uh, and we can't get out uh, uh, of bitterness and resentment and desire to judge. Now, the devil somehow often blinds us with this lie that we're going to get even by uh, with our offender by refusing to forgive, or somehow that you know we're we're hurting them if we don't forgive them. The truth is, we're only hurting ourselves. We become the victim in unforgiveness. Uh, one person said it this way: Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink, hoping that it kills our offender. Think about it with me this way this morning. Picture in your mind right now the person or persons that that you wrestle forgiving, the person that's hurt you, offended you, abused you, betrayed you in some way, what do you think they're doing right now? You think they're at home, maybe at church or at work, worried and bothered about the fact that you haven't forgiven them? (laughs) No, no, they're not thinking about you at all. They're just going on with life. Who's the one bothered? We are. We're the one that's now captive, aren't we? 
How many countless hours have we spent processing this over and over? How many relationships have suffered as a result? How uh, how many nights have we gone sleepless? How many times have we schemed for the revenge? How many how many times do we feel justified in nursing this this thing that we've carried around inside of us? Who's the victim here? We are. We've been delivered over to the torturers until we from our heart forgive. Unforgiveness has one victim. And that's us. We're crippled. We're unable to move forward in life, aren't we? we? We are constantly reminiscing and then living life through the lens of these former experiences. We're, we're in its grip. We've become a hostage, as it were. And the effects of this unforgiveness can seep into and touch almost every pocket of our lives, can't they? Our, our, our energy, our, our, our spiritual uh, capacities, our emotions, our relationships, our positive uh, outlook on life. It, it touches everything. So how do we forgive as we've been forgiven? How, how do we rise up to live out this fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer? How do we get out of the ditch and back onto the road of forgiveness? Firstly, I think we need to believe that extending forgiveness is actually possible. True, it's hard, one of the most difficult things we'll ever do, but it is possible, and for two compelling reasons. First is because Jesus has forgiven us. We've got to see ourselves as the forgiven servant in the parable. That is, we had an insurmountable debtedness. God's justice and his holiness demanded our punishment, but his mercy triumphed over his justice as he extended unconditional forgiveness on every sin we ever have, are, or will commit. And it's on that basis that God now appeals to each of us to extend forgiveness to others who have hurt us. Secondly, forgiveness is possible because Jesus models forgiveness and calls us to be like himself. See, Jesus was rejected by most of his fellow Jews. He was hated, lied about, ridiculed by the religious community. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends and ultimately was uh, tried and, and charged and tried and convicted in, in, in an absolute sham of a just trial. And yet, in the shadow of his life on the cross, Christ could say, Father, forgive them or they don't know what they're doing. So to be Christ-like is to be merciful and forgiving. So we got to start the whole process of getting out of the ditch and back onto the road by realizing forgiveness is possible. Secondly, acknowledge the reality of the offenses. You see, you can't really forgive someone until you acknowledge and readily admit that they've actually hurt, offended, betrayed, or abused you. Now, I know this sounds like a no-brainer, like, come on, Ben, get with it. But in my mind, in my experience, I've seen that this could be the one grain of rice that tips the scale towards uh, freedom and healing. You've got to start by acknowledging that, yeah, we were wronged. Now, we may be reluctant to admit that because we think it's unspiritual to admit such feelings. You know, if I were a better man or a woman in Christ, I should be able just to suck it up and get over it, right? And so we're reluctant to admit that we were really hurt or wrong. Or, you know, we loved and trusted these people. 
And we're almost ashamed to admit that people we loved and trusted, our parents, a, a spouse, a, a business partner, a, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, that they could have actually done this to us. Or we, we may not want to actually ever admit having carried around this offense because then it would re- reveal a flaw in our character, you know, as if we, we don't want anyone to think less of us for being unforgiven. Still others of us have just kind of swept the thing under the rug of denial. And while we maintain an outward demeanor of pleasantness, inside we're still captive. Now, it's important in acknowledging offenses to, to, to realize and understand that forgiveness doesn't mean that we deny uh, the, the offense, it, you know, it, it, pretend as if it didn't happen, that, that it, when we forgive, it doesn't delete or somehow remove the offense. They, they, they still happen. They're, they're real. It doesn't declare that what the offender did is now okay as if somehow we've we've changed our mind about how we feel, nor does it mean that you're no longer affected by the hurt or the betrayal. Forgiveness doesn't do any of those things. What it does is remove the power of that event in our life. It sucks the poison out, as it were. And so we get back on the road of forgiveness by acknowledging that, yes, an offense actually occurred. It was real. It was hurtful. It had serious consequences. And I've suffered in these real ways. And then the third thing I'm going to suggest in getting on the road to forgiveness is to ask the Holy Spirit for his help. The Holy Spirit is our helper. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Holy Spirit will come and help you. Because the Father will send the Spirit to take my place. How many of us have ever caught ourselves saying, well, Jesus, if you were just right here, then I know that you could help me. You know, the flesh and blood Jesus. Well, Jesus said, it's actually better that I go and I'll send you the helper, the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, Dr. Luke records for us the promise by Jesus prior to his ascension when he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this will enable you to actually live for me and be my witness. And so we ask the Holy Spirit for help because he supplies the power to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Do you know that Jesus asks you all the time to do stuff that you cannot do? Okay, those of us who are Christ followers understand completely. Those of us who may be entertaining the claims of the Christian faith say you can't live that way. That's the whole point. You can't live the Christian life on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, deny yourself, heal the sick, love your enemies, turn the other cheek. Uh, don't worry. You can't do any of that stuff on your own. You need his presence living in you. The Holy Spirit supplies what you do not have the strength or resources to do. You cannot live the Christian life on your own. It's not a self-improvement, be nice program. It's a let Christ rule in your life through the Holy Spirit program. So the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do what we cannot do, that is, to forgive people, to get out of the ditch of desire for revenge and bitterness and anger and resentment, to get on the road towards healing and health, the middle of the road. And so when we're instructed by Jesus to pray, to forgive as we've been forgiven, it's an invitation for Jesus to do what we cannot do. That's why he tells us to pray this prayer every day. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation for Jesus to do amazing things in our life that we do not have power to do. And so we ask the Holy Spirit, help me 
Help me repent. Repent is a, is a biblical word that simply means we're, we're walking on a path in this direction. We stop and we turn from and we turn to. And so in that sense, we say, Lord, help me turn from the part that I played. Acknowledging that unforgiveness is sin. Bitterness is sin. Resentment is sin. Desire for revenge is sin. And so we're walking on the road of unforgiveness. We're in the ditch of unforgiveness, as it were. We stop. We turn from that and we turn to Jesus to get back in the center of the road. We say, Lord, I'm sorry for my part. Forgive me for my sin. I want to get back on the middle of the road of forgiveness. And in that way, repentance removes the devil's right to keep us in torment. He no longer has squatter's rights in your life. So we ask the Holy Spirit for help in in repenting and turning for our part. And then we ask the Holy Spirit to excavate the root. Ask yourself, with the Holy Spirit's guidance, what is at the very root of my unforgiveness? And this it can vary person to person. Is it the hurt that I suffered? Is it the shame publicly of people knowing what I experienced? Is it disappointment? Is it a desire for revenge? Is the root hatred? Is it bitterness? Is it because your sense of fairness and justice in life was violated? Is it because your value for peacekeeping in the family or in the relationships uh, uh, torn? Is it, is it because um, your, your hopes for the future were sabotaged? That your dreams and desires can no longer take place? Is is it the loss that you actually suffered? What is the root? For instance, over 15 years ago now, one of our, Tina and my best friends, falsely accused me of having an emotional affair with her. I was stunned, saddened, didn't even quite know what she meant. Very deeply struggling to, to forgive uh, her. And when I asked the Holy Spirit, you know, what is the root of my inability to forgive? He showed me clearly that it was her violation of my character and integrity. That for me was the deepest source of pain. Now, by God's grace, I was able to forgive her. And it took her 13 years to later approach me and confess that she was sorry for having made that accusation and that anything actually had happened. We remain friends to this very day. But ask the Holy Spirit, what is the root in your life? Why why we're holding on to that unforgiveness, why we're still locked in the prison of torment. Pray And then pray for that root as directed by the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's breaking the power of resentment. Maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's uh, uh, to, to pray for a restoration of your reputation or your character. Maybe it's a a desire for God to to bless what was stolen from you. Maybe it's the uh, Holy Spirit's ability to uproot that bitterness that has gone into all the different pockets of your life. I like to think of God's grace as an axe that can cut off the roots of unforgiveness and bitterness in our life. And so ask God, What is it that your grace needs to actually excavate out of my life? 
Now, sometimes the things that we wrestle with have become what the Bible calls a stronghold. The word stronghold may not be a part of your everyday vocabulary, but a stronghold is simply an ingrained and repetitive, unhealthy process of uh, thinking, feeling, and believing. It's a track that your mind and, and emotions run on almost without conscious effort now. It's a way of thinking and acting, but they are unbiblical, irrational, and unhealthy. You see, right or wrong, what you think eventually gravitates to determine how you live. That's the power of, of our mind. Your beliefs control your behavior, how you feel, how you behave. And if an unforgiving stronghold rules our life, we'll be, eventually find ourselves becoming a slave to those unhealthy thoughts. We'll, we'll harbor resentment. We'll desire revenge. We'll think of ways to, to bring retribution or harm to even the score, to even, uh, you know, even it up by payback of some kind. I like to think of a stronghold working this way. When, when that dark seed of hurt, pain, abuse, or betrayal lands in our heart, and if our heart is fertile to accept offense, it begins to grow a root. And in that moment, we give the enemy a foothold. That's why the Apostle Paul warned the Ephesians in chapter 4, verse 26, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, because anger gives a foothold to the devil. When that dark seed of hurt and betrayal or injustice or abuse lands in our heart and our heart is fertile ground for nursing that thing, it begins to put roots down and a stronghold begins to emerge. That dark sprout with little, with little roots in our heart is watered when we feel justified in retaining that offense, in nursing that grudge, in re- rehearsing how wrong we were, in desire and revenge, in, in rehashing our bitterness over and over, that, that dark sprout continues to grow. The roots continue to push their way down into every pocket of our life. And the truth is, friends, and we all know this, the longer we wait to forgive, the harder it becomes. Why? Because the roots go down further and further. That stronghold, it, it, our, our mind travels down that same track, and our feelings, and our emotions, and our behavior follows the same track. The deeper the root goes, the harder it is to pull the plant. Why? Because negative support systems grow up around it. We know this is true, don't we? Yeah, bitterness soon begins to pour into other pockets of our life. Uh, We develop trust issues with people, people that have nothing to do with, with the issue. Fear, we begin to fear people or close relationships, and so we begin to isolate ourselves and close people off, and we wall off our heart to protect ourselves from being hurt and injured again. We, we find ourselves angry with people for no reason. We're short or we're irritable when they've given us no cause to, to break down in those relationships. We just can't stand to be around people, and particularly those that have any way, any affiliation with, with our hurt or our pain. We verbally lash out and wound others, and people are thinking like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know what I'm talking about? So the deeper the root goes, the more difficult it becomes to remove because all these other support systems grow up to, to surround the, the stronghold of unforgiveness and bitterness in our life. Now, strongholds are not built up overnight. They, they get in place over weeks and months and years. And they eventually uh, they crowd out God's grace and his love and his mercy in our life. And we've got to break the power of those strongholds through the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's why the Apostle Paul could write to the Corinthian church that was filled with all kinds of chaos. 
when he said this in first Corinthians, second Corinthians 10, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verses three to five. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Strongholds, a way of thinking. Paul encourages us in the the book of Romans, the 12th chapter, to, to not be conformed to the world. Don't let the world press you into its mold, but be changed by the renewal or the transformation of our mind. The way we think, the rails, the tracks that our mind runs on can become a stronghold, can become captive to unforgiveness. And so ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the roots of that stronghold so we can excavate it out with the gifts of His grace. You may need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gift of miracles, gifts of healings. You need the Holy Spirit's tools to do what you cannot do in your own strength or power. Many of us have said, we've tried to get the root out and it's not coming. It's because we need the the tools of the Holy Spirit, His gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, gifts of healings, gifts of working of miracles, the breaking of the power of a vow or a judgment in your life. I will never, I will always. Jesus said, when you judge in that way, uh, you, you you receive the law of retribution, you reap the same kind of judgment in your life. And so when we vow as a result of our hurt or our pain, I will never, I will always, guess what? The size of shovel that you scoop out, Jesus said, it's going to get scooped right back in your life. Judge not lest you be judged, for with the same measure that you judge and condemn, it comes back in your life. And so you can't just decide in your mind that that's going to stop. You need the gifts of the Holy Spirit to cut off, the, with God's grace, those repetitive patterns, those strongholds. So we, we're now... Encouraging you to get back up on the road of forgiveness, asking the Holy Spirit for help, asking Him to uh, excavate the root, and now we're going to ask Him to help us release the debt. How do we do that? Well, we place our offender in God's hands. might help you to even visualize it. Place your offender in God's hands, and then open our hand and heart and let the debt go. Let go of anger and bitterness, knowing that the book of Hebrews tells us, watch out lest any poisonous root of bitterness will grow up in you and corrupt everything. Hebrews 12, 15. We let go of the desire for revenge because God is the enforcer of justice. We, we know that that's why the apostle Paul tells us in the, in the 12th chapter of Romans, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures declare, I will, I will take revenge and I'll pay them back. And so we, we can open our hand and our heart and let the debt go because we're trusting God as the just judge to bring recompense. Ultimately, uh, the judgment seat of Christ is the great hope that all of us have who've been hurt and abused and taken advantage of in some way. Because we know that God is the just judge is going to bring uh, a, a retribution. We can trust God because he's good all the time. Even though many times we may have wrestled with God, how could you have allowed this to happen? Well, because he endows all men and women on the face of the earth with freedom of will to do as we please. And in that process, they can hurt people and do heinous things to people. And in that sense, God has very little to do with what we've hurt or suffered. 
It's the fruit of the freedom of choice that he's given to all people everywhere. The same freedom that we enjoy to exercise in our life at will. Other people exercise it and hurt people. That God can be trusted. Why? Because he is so big that he says, even your bad stuff, I'll work for your good. He doesn't say call it good. He says, I'll make it good. And we can trust him because he says, nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing can separate you from my love. He is the just judge who will settle the score at the final judgment, which is why we can let the debt go, why we can place our fender into God's hands and open our hands and hearts and let the debt go. And just as a word of encouragement, friends, you could never collect enough repayment from the offender to, to cancel the debt. You realize that? You could never collect enough to recapture what you've lost. In his book, Lee The last years, Charles Flood reports that after the Civil War, Robert E. Lee visited a Kentucky woman uh, who took him to the remains of a grand old tree in the front of her house. She cried bitterly that its limbs and its trunk had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. And she looked to Lee for a comforting word, uh, at least condemning the North, you know, or, or sympathizing with her in some fashion for her loss. After a brief silence, Lee said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. While shocking, Jesus probably would have said the same thing. It's better to forgive the injustices and hurt and abuse and pain of the past. Forgive them than than allowing them to remain and to let bitterness take root and to poison the rest of your life. Jesus would have said, so you will be delivered to the torturers unless we from our heart let the debts go. So let them go. Now, friends, forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean reconciliation. That's actually good news to some of us. A restored relationship is not the inevitable next step after forgiveness. They may be dead. They may be in a different part of the world or the country. Maybe the offender has no desire to restore relationship. Maybe, maybe uh, you know, they're going to continue to poison things if you restored. Nor do I think reconciliation is expected. The Apostle Paul just said, as much as is possible within you, live peaceably with all people. But he doesn't say you have to be reconciled. In this sense, you know, Forgiveness does not necessarily mean a restoration of the relationship to the way things were before, the hurt or the pain, the abuse or the betrayal. Now, in some cases, prompted by the Holy Spirit, you may find it helpful to write a letter or to send an email or even request a meeting, perhaps taking someone with you as as a moderator, as it were. If the person is unaware of the offense, I often find it's not very helpful to encourage restoration in that fashion. You know, it's one of those, I just want to let you know that I've forgiven you for everything that you did to me. And you're like, what what I do? Okay. Uh, And so reconciliation may not be the course of action that the Holy Spirit directs you. Forgiveness is what is necessary. Reconciliation may not be. The process of Placing the offender in God's hands and releasing the debt uh, may be something that you have to do a dozen, several dozen, or 70 times seven dozen times. Peter once asked Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? And Jesus replied, not just seven, 
not just 70, but seven times 70, indicating an innumerable number of occasions. Jesus knew what we were made out of. He knew that there were going to be times when it wasn't just once or twice or 490, but a thousand times we have to pull ourselves back out of the ditch of desire for revenge and anger and bitterness and get back in the middle of the road. Forgiveness is not a one-time, done-for-all thing. I think that's one thing we, 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 we presume that, you know, once we forgive, we ought to be able to go on with the rest of our life free and clear. I don't look at it that way at all. Forgiveness is a road that we're walking on, that we slide off into the ditch. we got to get back up on the road. It can be meaningful and authentic and real every time you pray. Just because you slide off in the ditch does not mean the prayers and experience you had of forgiveness the day before were inauthentic. That's why Jesus said you have to do it every day. Forgive us today our sins as we forgive today those who sin against us. You see the power in praying it every day, getting back out of the ditch that you slide into. You pray through it in the morning. By the evening, you're in the ditch. Next day, get back up on the middle of the road. Forgiveness is like walking a road. It's a road that many of us would choose to rather not be on, but it's the road we're on. And we don't want to get stuck in the cul-de-sac, do we? We want to get back up on the road. In this sense, forgiveness is a daily, weekly, monthly, lifelong process of crawling out of the ditch and getting back in the center of the road, releasing that debt. Father, forgive me today for my sins as I forgive today those who've sinned against me. One last word. Is forgiveness by God really conditional? Have any of you wrestled with that question? Jesus linked the receiving of forgiveness with offering forgiveness. Forgive us as we have forgiven. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, at the conclusion of the prayer, Jesus strengthens this teaching with these words in verses 14 and 15. If you forgive those who, who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. He strengthened the fourth petition with these words. I like to think that he established what I call the law of proportionality. We can expect to receive divine forgiveness in the measure that we extend human forgiveness. I think that accurately reflects the spirit of Christ's words. We can only hope to receive from God what we freely dispense to others. Forgive as we forgive. Technically, no sin other than unbelief will keep you out of the kingdom of God. That's the truth. But unforgiveness will prevent us from enjoying the full privileges of real kingdom life here on the earth. I'd like to finish by reading a story about Corey Ten Boom. Many of you know uh, her life story. Uh, She and her family were arrested and imprisoned in concentration camps for hiding Jews in their home during the Holocaust of World War II. And after her release, she traveled around the world telling of God's faithfulness during that time. At one of her speaking engagements, she was reunited with a Ravensbrück guard, a man who helped play a key role in the tragic death of her sister Betsy in the concentration camp. He asked Corey for forgiveness for her horrible actions as that speaking session concluded, and she writes, As I stood there, I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, I could not. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he now erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, held his hand out, but to me it seemed as hours. 
as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. And, and, and stood I, uh, still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And we can function regardless of the temperature. The will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one outstretched to me. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all of my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I'd never known God's love so intensely as I did right then. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. It's a power that breaks the chains of bitterness and the shackles of selfishness. Lord, may we be those people that receive uh, your forgiveness and then are able by your Holy Spirit's help to extend it to others. Lord, I pray that even today you would open wide the prison doors for those of us who are struggling. Lord, that we would crawl out of the ditch for the first or the hundredth or the 490th or the thousandth time and get back on the road of forgiveness so we can be released from the torment of prison. May your grace come to us. And Lord, as we now worship you with our gifts and the worship in song, just take these for what they are, tokens that we love you. In your name, amen.